Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, 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 it's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. Now, that might be the mission of the nonprofit that you're currently working at, or if you're a freelance grant writer or nonprofit consultant, the many different nonprofits you work with. All right, so in today's show, it's actually so much fun. I love doing these end of year shows where we do our best of. So we actually have two best of shows. We have ours this week and we have one next week. Now, why do we have two? Well, that's because I get folks that listen to the podcast who are grant writers or nonprofit leaders within a nonprofit. And then I also get people who are coming here to learn how to open their own business to write grants or to serve nonprofits. So I wanted to serve both of you in really being able to say, here's the best of for grant writers and people in nonprofits. And then next week, I'm gonna give you guys the best of for freelance grant writers or or nonprofit consultants. So you're welcome. So what we've done is we've looked over the data from the last year and we've taken the five top listened podcasts from each of those categories. So you're going to hear clips from five of the best podcasts, the most listened to in 2022 for grant writers, nonprofit leaders, et cetera. So you definitely dive in. So this applies to you freelancers too, because you're definitely going to want to hear what people in nonprofits were wanting to listen to. So we're going to give you some teasers, and I'm also going to give you links in the show notes to the full episode. So if you didn't happen to catch one of these most popular episodes, and you're like, ooh, I'm loving what I'm hearing today, but I'm only hearing a small clip from it, you can definitely jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 250. Yes, we are on our 250th podcast episode today, so that's a celebration in itself. And you can then get the links to the full podcast, all of these five full podcasts. But what we're doing today is just giving you some teasers of the best of. I went through them all and have taken uh, some of the top clips. And there's so many more clips there. Listen to the full thing if any of it sounds amazing to you. So um, you definitely want to check the best of, the most popular. And of course, you can always look over at our website, grantwritingandfunding.com, and click on podcasts. And if you're a grant writer, click on the grant writer button. If you're a nonprofit leader, click on the nonprofit button. Or if you're a freelance grant writer, a nonprofit consultant, click on that button. And then you'll see all of the podcasts that will apply to you. And as I said, we're on our 250th episode. So there's a lot of podcasts and a lot of content that is totally free, totally helpful for you. And I just want to also celebrate, we are the top ranked grant writing podcast on all of the RSS platforms that I see, all the podcast listening platforms. So I just want to thank you for, because that's you, that's you. You guys are the one, the reason that this is happening, that we are the most listened to top ranked grant writing podcast is because you come back again and again and again and listen to all of the different podcasts. You find what's relevant for you. You share with me, hey, Holly, I think this would be a great topic for the podcast, et cetera. You're the one who's really making this work and run and I wouldn't make it if no one was listening to it, right? So 
Thank you so much for being a listener, for being a change maker and being in the community. I just want to give a shout out to you. I definitely have a free gift for you coming your way for being a listener. So if you are not on my email list yet, you want to jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com and join the free Hub Haven. That's our weekly email. You also get an online beautiful portal right away with a ton of free resources. So do join that if you wanna join, if you wanna be able to grab a free gift that I'm gonna be sending out. I'm just gonna ask for some feedback. That's it, guys. Um, who you are, all of that kind of stuff to know who's listening to the podcast, and then you get a free gift. So I, that will be coming out this week. So please go over to grantwritingandfunding.com and join our free hub haven there's going to be a pop-up on the screen you want to click on that to join the free hub haven and you will definitely um, be able to get a free gift when you fill out a short little form just so i know who's really listening and i can cater more and more podcasts for you and as i mentioned for all of today's show notes and for the full extended podcast that um, are going to be played today because we're just playing clips of the top five most listened to for nonprofits and grant writers do jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 250. And one more note before we get started, hang in there, is our Grant Professional 2023 mentorship doors are open. So if you're a freelance grant writer and you want support in your business for an entire year, you are gonna wanna join the mentorship. If you want to design your life so you have more freedom in your schedule, so you have more confidence in your boundaries and your pricing, so you get a full system for your business, you are gonna wanna join our annual mentorship program. The doors do close January 8th, and we have some amazing bonuses. If you jump in by December 30th, you will grab them. So do jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com and you will find more information. Um, you'll see it already, mentorship. Jump on that, click on that, um, grab, get inside that program because this year is going to be amazing and I'm really excited to help you freelance grant writers grow your efficiency in your business model and get a feedback loop system. And you're gonna find out all the details if you're on my email list. I'll be sending out a lot of emails to explain the entire program so it answers all of your questions. All right, so let's go ahead and get into our episode today. So our most popular episode was episode 207, How Nonprofits Can Use YouTube to Increase Donations. And this was an awesome episode, I do have to say myself, because we had one of our students from the Grant Writing Master Course actually be featured on this podcast. And she had reached out to me and she said, hey, Holly, my husband and I did this thing on YouTube. And we think other change makers that listen to your podcast may find this useful to increase donations. And basically what her and her husband did, so this is Sydney Stelzmzak, and her husband, their son, actually has a very rare disease that he suffers from, and it's called Syngap-1. And she's a part of a nonprofit. She sits on their board to do a lot of research for this disease, and they really wanted to raise more money. Now, here's the thing. Her husband has had a very successful YouTube tech channel, so things about technology. So they said, how can we bring these things, two things together? Raising money for Syngap-1 research 
and utilizing your YouTube platform. So what they ended up doing was he really leveraged his current audience, which is all of these listeners about technology. They're really big into like Tesla cars and all of that. And he happened to have a Tesla. So what he said was, we are going to do the first ever. So him and a couple of friends, we're going to do the first ever coast to coast uh, drive using our Tesla. And we are going to live stream it on our YouTube channel the entire time. And what we're going to do is raise money for SYNGAP1. So they had all of these crazy things they had to do. Um, and she talks about that in her clip, so I'm gonna let her talk about that. And we're going to raise money. And what they ended up doing was raising $150,000 from this coast to coast trip. So she's going to tell you a little bit more about that right now. We're driving, <laughs> right? The cannonball all the way from New York to California. Like they're literally live streaming the entire thing. Is it, or is there patches of time and are people at different time zones like on the whole, like, how does this work? Yes. All of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, um, I mean, obviously, um, I wanted my husband to come back <laughs> safely. <laughs> so um, we definitely were taking that into consideration. We tried our best to discern if anybody else had actually live stream a cross-country trip, and we couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. um, so we think we may have been the first. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, my, my husband actually spent actually months, I think, um, working on the logistics of this, making sure that there would be internet the entire way, um, doing all of the tech stuff that he needed to do to make sure that that would happen, that the computers would run in the car, where was the camera gonna be placed? Uh, you know, How were they gonna mic up, especially um, when they got to um, a charging station and they needed to get out of the car? Um, so, so much, so much thought was put into all of this ahead of time. <laughs> um, and we got a lot of great suggestions from our kids and the volunteers at SRF and that kind of thing too. Um, but yes, they did live stream the entire thing. Um, you saw people sleeping in the car. Um, you saw them uh, doing challenges that, you know, if people donated so much money, they would spin a wheel and then they would have to do one of the consequences on the wheel. Uh -huh. um, so they had to do all of that stuff while they were in the car. I know, um, just so I don't make it sound like it was too, um, like, uh, too serious with the, what, what were your challenges videos? We also had lots of really silly challenges. Um, I uh, cut my husband's hair in a swirl on the back and he dyed it red. I think he shaved off his eyebrows. Um, <laughs> he's he's going to be getting his third butt tattoo um, as a consequence of this drive. Uh, I think the guys dressed up in costumes and did karaoke songs at the charging stations, much to everybody's amusement. So they had to take all of this into consideration when they were thinking about how to make it work um, from a tech perspective. Um, and I know you mentioned that the link to UFD Tech would be in the notes. Um, there's actually several videos that we did afterwards that are dedicated to how did we make this work uh, from a tech perspective. But yeah, you saw all of it. And um, I should mention that on the way there, they only raised $135,000. And so my husband live streamed his solo trip back to Pennsylvania from California and raised the, um, the remaining 16,000 or so and people got to watch him sleep in the car and 
not be able to find a bathroom at the rest stop for a couple of hours at all. <laughs> so yeah, very organic. So that was a short clip from episode 207, and that was with Sydney. So she also talked more about how, even if you don't have a YouTube channel yet, what you can do, what makes sense, some other ideas. So definitely check that out. Now we're going to go into our next most popular listen to podcast of 2022, and that is podcast episode 201, why the nonprofit world has a bias against women and how to break the bias. And that's with Mazarine Trace from Wild Women Fundraising. She's phenomenal. She gives so much knowledge about the history even of the systemic issue with the bias against women. She really goes into that and she specifically talks about the nonprofit sector. So what I did was I grabbed a clip on how she's actually giving you some tools if you are a woman in a nonprofit or as a freelancer and working with nonprofits or any, this can apply to any of you women, okay? <laughs> All you women out there to be able to ask for more and how to break the bias. So here's Mazarine. Back then, so, you know, we kind of looked at big picture and look at some systemic um, issues and then how we, you know, are navigating through those. And now to bring it back to the nonprofit world as far as, because we do see a lot of um, gender discrimination in nonprofits. We see a lot of male executive directors, um, you know, male presidents of the board. We see a lot of higher paid men, et cetera. You know, there's a lot going on there. So for a woman who may be working at a nonprofit at this point in time and being like, you know what, um, I've been number two for a long time, like, you know, the runner up to the executive director, if you will, but doing a lot of his job, um, but, you know, not getting paid for it you know, those types of situations, because I actually see that quite a lot. Um, so how could you encourage her? Like, what would be a step to ask for more? Like what you started off, to, you know, kind of saying, like, how can she get out of feeling like, oh my gosh, now I realize this is a bigger issue than me, but I do have a choice, but what do I do? Yeah, so when I was talking about white supremacy just now and racialized categories, that's still very much in the context of nonprofits, just to be clear. Yeah. Um, we have a system that is broken, whether you're working in government, corporations, or nonprofits, and it's all based on white supremacy. And it's based on colonialism, um, and it's based on um, patriarchy, and it's based on capitalism, right? So um, everything I'm saying has immediate relevance for you if you're working in a nonprofit or working with nonprofits as a consultant. Mm -hmm. um, so that might be why people are devaluing your work, whether you're inside or outside, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it might be also why you're just not getting where you want to be. And so um, nonprofits are often toxic pitholes of racist, you know, workplace culture. And so we really need to ask ourselves, um, hey, if I'm not getting a fair shake here, where can I get a fair shake? And um, some people say, oh, consulting is too precarious. And to that I say, working for someone is precarious. Mm -hmm. So I just worked with a woman this last week who was trying to leave her nonprofit job and then she got pushed out and then she immediately got another interview and got $5,000 more. We worked together to get her a raise. And so we like worked really hard to show her she had this value because she is underpaid for so long at a national organization I will not name, but they are just notorious for paying their workers so little and saying, well, we just don't negotiate salaries here or it's just not in the budget. Right. So I have phrases you can use to overcome that. But one of the things that I'll, unfortunately a lot of people have to remember when you're working full-time at a nonprofit is if you've been accepting a low wage for a long time, they might only ever see you as that person and you're gonna to have to make a lateral move. Okay. But by that, I mean, apply for another job, 
get that job and negotiate a higher salary there because the people who are around you right now clearly do not value you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you think no one's going to pay me $300 an hour, Mazarin, I'm like, yes, they will. They will. There's over a million nonprofits in this whole country. Mm -hmm. There absolutely are people that are willing to pay you more. Mm -hmm. And even if you've been charging less as a consultant or as an employee, it's all about asking. And I have key phrases you can use either at any review time or uh, in your job, you know, application process or as a consultant to get more, um, mm -hmm. right? Um, only one right way. That's not true. That is never true. There's always tons of ways to do things right. But in grant writing too, they're all like make a replicable program because there's only one right way to do it. Like, and you know that the reason your program is so successful is because you have the right people in there and that's not replicable. You right. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, paternalism, which is, I know better than you because I'm a white cis woman or I am a white cis man, mm -hmm. right? And um, that's part of colonialism. Like we're gonna help the brown people or the black people do something in their lives that's better than they could do alone because we are white and therefore better, right? So that's people giving you unasked for advice and blah, 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 right? Once again, that was Mazarine Trays. You'll definitely want to check out that entire podcast. It has so many gems in it. So once again, you can go to rentreadingandfunding.com forward slash 250 for all of the links to the full episodes. Uh, the next we have on our most popular um, of our top five, this is our top third, is the three-step ask formula to get donors to give to your nonprofit with Dr. Omatola Akinsola. And she is amazing. She's actually in our grant and professional mentorship as well. And has I've just seen her business grow over the last four or five years now. She's been working with me and I absolutely love. She comes on the podcast. She's developed an ask formula, which is an acronym. And I actually grabbed the clip today where she breaks down each one of those. But to go into more depth with more of her knowledge, you are definitely going to want to check out that full episode as well. But here she is with her ask formula. And like we teach, but nobody wanted to fund the work that I was going to do back in, in Nigeria at that point because there was like political instability sometimes. And you know, sometimes that makes people a bit like sketchish about supporting because they're not sure whether it's going to last or whether the money will go to the right thing and so through that experience of having to like save up like five thousand dollars of my own money i worked in the cafeteria i did catering i did all kind of things beyond just being a student just to be able to do it because of this passion that i had and so i thought of that and put myself in the shoes of these other passionate individuals who basically system for their country for their community for their neighborhood because based on the way things are, we don't have as much like social structures like we have here in the United States. And so there's no like foster care, there's no homeless shelter or homeless food kitchen that people can go to. And so we see the need every day, people dying on the street, people lying down, begging for food, stealing because they just are so hungry. And because of that, they go to jail and nobody cares about them. There's no use process or anything like that. And so for somebody to say, you know what, I'm going to step into this mess mm -hmm. and try to change it and trying to make it better. That takes a lot of courage, right? But yes. I don't want them to ever feel like depleted because there is no support or funding because yes, a lot of most African um, nonprofits want to like apply for grant. They think grant is the way, which is wonderful. It's one stop, one stream of funding, right? But yeah. sometimes they're not ready. They're they not grant ready yet. So what happens? Does that mean that their mission, their vision ceased to exist 
does that mean that they can still do good because they can access the grant yet? So mm -hmm. that was what made me to think of, you know what, what if I come up with an alternative way that they can fund their work, they can still get people to donate and to contribute to what they are doing and support them on the mission. And so that was what gave rise to the 100% uh, donors challenge to say, you know what, while you're still working on being grant ready, can we work together and see the assets you have in the people around you? There is already wealth, there is already money within those that you have within your circle, but you're overlooking them because you've not been taught the way to act. And so that was how I came up with the act formula, which is all about act, seek, not. And so the process is as that simple, it's like act. And so it translates to the ASK, mm -hmm. act, act, A is for act, S is for seek, and K is for not. And so the way you think of it is like a circle, and then draw another circle within that circle, and draw another circle, a smaller circle within it. So you have three circles, right? And so you start from the inner circle, and that is the acting. So think of your friends and family. Can you bring them together and have, and have a conversation? It doesn't have to be something formal to say, you know what? This is my passion. You know, there is this issue. The statistics keep rising. More children are out of school, more than 10 million, for example, in Nigeria. And now with COVID-19, it's so much worse. Like some schools have been shut down for over three years because they don't have the right protocols. They don't have the right technology to offer like online learning and things like that. Right. So what is going to happen to the future of these children? And so, but because but the need is great, but the laborers are so few and the resources are few. So sometimes it feels defeating that no matter what you do, it's a city cannot make a dent. And so, so the fact that it's saying, you know what, what are there people within around me within my families my friends who may have the passion to and care about this population or this issue but they don't have the time and the energy like i do to create the program to actually create the intervention and implement it but they are willing to support me with some material good or with some like um cash to help me um further this mission and so that's where we start is like start with what you are so one of the um, example, I, I tell people to use, like, I want you to bring out your phone. And if you think about it, Oli, too, if you have your phone with you, how many people do you have on your contact list? Mm -hmm. Let's say you have 200, on average, people have at least 200 people, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at those 200 people, at least you speak to, like, maybe 10 to 30, like, on a, on a monthly basis or more, like, based on, like, at least using my own database to examine it. And we're not talking about WhatsApp. We're not talking about Telegram or all of those. We're just talking about text message or phone call. And so think about that. What if you just call them and share your vision, your mission, and you know what? I have this app for these people. This is what is going on. I've done the research. So that was Dr. Omatola. Once again, you'll definitely want to check out the entire Ask formula and how she breaks it down and her experience as well, working as a founder of a nonprofit and is leading a business. So really, really interesting. All right, now we're gonna go into our top fourth one um, podcast episode, and this is with Stu Manowith, and it's called How Nonprofits Can Use Technology to Increase Donor Retention. This was episode 213. So the clip I pulled is really great because it talks about what you can do with your newsletters with donors, how to use some type of technology to really get the right information from them at the right time and then he also gives some other great tips but you'll definitely want to check out this entire one too because he talks about how you can really leverage technology to increase donor retention and he gives away an amazing fact in this you're going to want to listen when a job or has a kind of a blank slate yeah 
I would say capture every amount, every bit of information you can and just capture it and do it, do it systematically and, and classify your data um, effectively. Think, think it through, think what information you want to capture. And what's really interesting is that there is a school of thought, especially um, when people are signing up for newsletters or opting in for email, and even when they're making online donations, is that you don't want to ask people for too much because you don't want them to abandon. Yes. You don't want to make it onerous. You don't want them to abandon the search. So, or not the search. You don't want them to abandon the activity of making the gift, signing up for the email, signing up for the newsletter, etc. So there's a happy medium, and it might take a little bit of testing and a little bit of experimenting to figure out really what the right amount of data to collect is. But collect as much as you can, especially what people's interests are. Right. Um, and these days, web um, donation pages. There are, um, you can ask survey questions with just a few drop downs, so it's not onerous again. You don't want to make it a chore for the donor or for the uh, signer up or the subscriber, but capture as much data as you can and then use that strategically to build segments. So if um, your food banks are obviously, they were very, very um, popular. <laughs> food, food banks were very hot during the worst of the pandemic because they, they were getting a lot of attention. They were getting, because people used them so much and they were getting uh, a lot of donations for the same, same reasons. <clears throat> a food bank, for someone who donates to a food bank, and I realize this is one, just one example, and we're not talking about arts and cultural or faith-based or animal rights or environmental, but, but just a, as an example, uh, a food bank could say, Thank you, you know, name, email address, donation amount, payment information. What are you interested in? Um, volunteering, um, uh, donating food instead of just money, um, a, uh, a virtual food drive, um, uh, nutrition, nutrition education. I, I'm, again, I'm making it up right. on short notice, but like volunteering if you, at the if, soup kitchen. Right. Right. But it, but it, if you list those things and people can choose one, then you already have an engagement point with someone right. who has never been a donor before or maybe uh, uh, is a renewing donor. And you and that's how you start building a relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that. I like that simple, like make it simple. And I know even uh, Brady, Brady Josephson from Next After Institute, and I know he was talking about, too, as far as signing up and I, some other people, too, that have been on the podcast have said, you know, keep it simple, like even if it's name and email address to yeah. pay and get them to pay. And then you can have your survey right after that, after the checkout. You, 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 you can, or, or, and this, you know, this is strategic, and, but, you know, think about it. Or when you send your thank you, you ah, can have a survey because for, for two things, three things. First of all, it's another touch point. Yep. Second of all, it's a thank you. Mm -hmm. So it's not asking for it's not asking for more money. And if you can, you can weave in maybe just a little stewardship information. Um, thank you for your gift of $25. We used it for this thing, or we used it the way you intended, even something, you know, very minor. Um, in order for us to use your funding um, even more effectively uh, the next time, please tell us some things that you're interested in. Right. I love that. I love that with the thank you letter. And once again, having the thank yeah. you letter. <laughs> Because a lot of yeah. times and well, and you know what? Here's something else too. Um, we you know we talk about donor retention. There's some research that um, has demonstrated that for new donors, 
it, this research was based on new donors. I think it probably is true about existing donors or lapsed donors as well. But for new donors, those who make a second gift within 90 days of their first gift are four times more likely to have, I'm sorry, have four times the lifetime value of, of donors who don't make a second gift within 90 days. So let me repeat that talk. I'm sure to clar clarify it. People Donors who make their second gift within 90 days have four times the lifetime value of those who don't. Um, but so the question is, okay, how do how do you get that second gift in 90 days? Well, yeah. you got to use your data. You got to you got to use data. You've got to you've got to um, you have to thank them for the gift. Make sure that you're using what is what what interested them in the first place in reflecting back to them in your thank you note. Mm -hmm. Some between day one and day 90, so day 45, 60, somewhere along the line, some type of stewardship piece that um, reflects back to them that their gift was used the way they intended and what it was used for. And then maybe somewhere between day 75 and 90, another solicitation once again, um, reflecting, thanking them for their first gift, reminding them how it was used and asking them for a second. And that, you know, I think that that's a formula for success versus day one, getting an email receipt, which isn't really a thank you. And then day 89, getting another solicitation with nothing happening in between. And our final best of 2022 for nonprofit leaders and grant writers is episode 204, Designing Grassroots Education and Conflict Zones with the founder of To Move Mountains, Ryan Boyette. And the clip I pulled, it's really powerful because it really talks about his specific experience in working as a humanitarian aid worker and then journalist in the remote Nuba Mountains of Sudan where there has been a war conflict going on for generations. And it's also where he met his wife. And in this clip specifically, he talks about something that is so important for any nonprofit, and that is to listen to your community for the solutions that your nonprofit wants to meet, all of those gaps, right? First, we need to listen to the community. So this is a powerful example of that. Here's Ryan. Started a media organization called Nuba Reports. Mm -hmm. And so we started reporting on this conflict from the front lines to the wow. caves where people just were displaced. And I mean, hundreds of thousands of people were displaced. And um, at the beginning of the war, over 70,000 refugees entered South Sudan. Uh, by that time, it was a separate country. Mm -hmm. um, so as, as time went on, we were reporting on this conflict. And as I would, I would go to um, these caves where people were displaced and we would, we would interview them. And I'd, and I'd always ask, um, what's your major need here? And thinking people would say, uh, security or food or something like this. Um, I was wrong because every single, almost every time people would say we need education. Wow. And it, and it kind of like, yeah, Holly, it was, it really surprised me because I, I was like, okay, why? Like, I was kind of frustrated. Like you need food. Like why, why are you saying you need education? But what I realized and from talking to people, they've been in war their whole, like generations and generations of war in Sudan. Mm -hmm. And they would always say, we know what it is to starve. We know what it is to suffer. And we want it to stop. And we realize the only way for that to happen is through education. And those are, from, those are their words. Um, so they realized so that's a systemic issue behind it all instead of just the immediate need. It was like, no, this needs to be bigger. 
to read. Exactly. Wow, that's so interesting. You know, especially I love how you're saying too, you're asking what they need. A lot of times I've seen a lot of Western countries, NGOs go into war-torn areas, um, disaster areas, and just implement what they think is needed. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. just backfires all over the place. Yeah. And I can say, like, I to be very vulnerable, I have and very honest, I I definitely learned from my own mistakes. Yeah. You know, going in there as a young college graduate, thinking, oh, I have this answer to this problem, and and seeing a lot of times it not work. Yeah. And just realizing most of the solutions are going to come from the people who live there and have lived through these conflicts their whole lives. Absolutely. Um, I love that. And you have a journalism background as well. So that was able to yeah. help support that you know what, I'm going to report on the front lines. Like that is so, you know, amazing to bring in your other skills too. Yeah. And what really worked is we, we built up a community of journalists within the region and later throughout Sudan. And we started reporting into other parts of Sudan, which was amazing because people had never seen this conflict. Um, when we, we took video and photos, so there's all this evidence. And through that, we, got, we built a lot of credibility and then we started bringing in journalists from uh, international journalists. We brought in Nicholas Kristof from the New York Times. We brought in Ann Curry. We brought in Al Jazeera English. Um, even brought in George Clooney at one point into. Oh, he's the great. Mountains. He's always supporting. Um, him and his yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so a very very nice guy, and he was very knowledgeable. He was very well read on the situation, and, and he was really there to learn. And and so was everyone else that came. And. Um, so through that and, and through hearing the voices of the people, um, it, I always saw the media work as temporary. I always, I, it was always a part of my goal and vision and my wife's to, to support the development of the people in the area and yeah. what their desires were. So then um, as the war started to slow down, there's, there hasn't been peace signed yet up to now. Mm-hmm. But for the past uh, three to four years, there hasn't been any bombing or fighting actively. Um, so it's, there's kind of these front lines. So we thought it's a good time to come out and we wanted to start an organization that addressed this issue, mm-hmm. um, education and conflict. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is where, you know, we saw a huge gap and a huge desire, mm-hmm. um, from the people. So we, we came out of, uh, Sudan in 2018 and started to move mountains to, to address that issue. I hope you enjoyed this episode today, episode 250, um, the top 2022 podcast episodes for grant writers and nonprofit leaders. And it's kind of interesting because the top listen were actually nothing to do specifically with writing grants, although there's a lot of tips that you can pull from these episodes to help your grants, right? Listen to your community like Ryan talked about, the Ask Formula like Tola talked about learning how to leverage technology for donors. All of those things can help you diversify your revenues. You're not just dependent on grants, but also help you develop relationships with your grant funding sources. Those are definitely tools that you can still use when you're thinking about, instead of donors, funding sources for grants, right? Those types of things. So I hope you enjoyed these clips. Do check out grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 250 if you'd like to listen to the full episodes of these podcasts. All of the links are there. And like I mentioned, next week we will be listening to the top five most listened to for freelance grant writers and nonprofit software. And I hope you are having a wonderful holiday season. I will see you next week.